Welcome, everybody, to episode 76 of the Ecomasaurus podcast. This episode, we're going to be recapping Amazon's recent inventory and fee changes, the ones that go into place um, coming up in on Friday, a, a, fr a week from today as we record this, right? They go into place March 1st. Um, we did go through these in exhaustive detail in December in episode 66, including a breakdown of, hey, what's the real impact on P&L for these? Um, and, and really, that was a reaction to the Amazon forums and uh, you know, e-com Twitter bursting into a, this is Armageddon, um, e-commerce is dead, Amazon is dead, the world can't survive these changes, they're really not as bad as that. Um, but what we found out is since the December panic, everybody forgot about these changes. And now that they're actually coming into place in a week, everybody's forgotten that they're going to hit. So we want to do a quick reminder and refresher on it. I also have on the podcast with me, Parker Harrington and Rachel Thompson, and Shelby Kramer is producing. And we're going to go through the changes in the order that they're going to launch and just review quick, like, what are the key things you need to know? How bad or good really are these changes? What's Amazon really trying to do? This is what are they really trying to guide you to do? And then what are some things you can do now or that you should be doing now to help things out? Uh, as a quick reminder, some housekeeping. The sponsor of, 50, of our podcast of the Ecomasaurus is 50 Pound Boson. And we're an e-commerce marketing agency and 50 Pound Boson looks to help small to medium-sized brand owners who are working to grow their e-commerce sales channels. New episodes come out weekly, always by Tuesday at the latest. Um, sometimes Monday night we get them out. But if you check in on Tuesday, you'll always find the new episode. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you enjoy our content and want more of it, please subscribe and give us a rating. And if you'd like to be a guest on the Commasaurus podcast, hit us up on our email in our show notes. Um, it's I'll also say it here. It's Roar, R-A-W-R, at ecomasaurus.com, and we'd love to chat. And if you haven't checked out our most recent episodes, if this is your first time listening, last week, episode 75, we had our first swing at a 50-pound game show. Parker, how did that go? Swimmingly. Swimmingly well. So we, we winged it, tried to do a game show. We had a six-pack of, of what we thought were really hard questions, ones that didn't have an easy answer, and we quizzed the team and then we voted on who had the best answer and we had some fun with that the week before that we sat down with nick fiore who's the current vice president of e-commerce at swiss gear wenger and has been a past client of ours just to talk about what he's kind of learned as his career has advanced and what's important to know about e-commerce he also started uh, with swiss gear a luggage company three weeks before the pandemic shutdown hit and the luggage industry collapsed for a little while and so it's an interesting story on what he went through and always great to have him as a guest. And then next week for episode 77, we're going to recap the most interesting stories in e-commerce for February 2024. That's something we do once a month of just recapping sometimes the biggest stories, but always the ones that we find the most interesting and the ones we think our audience would be most interested in knowing. Um, before we get into that, um, Rachel, we talked about, hey, we should always talk about AI because you can't talk about e-commerce without always talking about AI these days, right? Or at least at least the pundits on Twitter would make you believe that, that all e-commerce is AI these days. And you're nodding your head, which doesn't help anybody who's listening, but Rachel's nodding her head. Yeah, um, we did talk about that. <laughs> so we had a little bit and um, we, as everybody else, are trying to figure out, okay, where do we get it? What, what in AI is real? 
and what's just kind of PR hype. And there's a, there's some very real things going on. There's a lot of PR hype on it. Uh, there were two oopses uh, last week. In our notes, it's called Skynet Trips on a Banana Peel. Um, but one happened on Tuesday. And again, we're not an AI podcast, but we're an e-commerce podcast, and uh, and the two overlap quite a bit sometimes. Uh, on Tuesday, ChatGPT started spouting nonsense. And this was spotted first on uh, on Twitter, and then examples were of it. And I think it was like 36 hours is what we think it was, where ChatGPT was just spouting gibberish. And ChatGPT, OpenAI could not figure out why. It was mixing in languages, from, words from different languages. It was making up words. Um, I think the, the one of the screenshots was of note, Kata type requires Unbida, Lampara, Bajo, Punto uh, to, and Lucier off, fired off the photo setting waves. It was like all just, you couldn't make sense of anything. Um, it's been fixed is what I've been told, but we haven't got any announcement from OpenAI on how it got fixed or what happened on it. Um, Parker, why is this relevant to e-commerce and how people are using ChatGPT tools for e-commerce right now? Because it's 2024 and AI runs the world. <laughs> it's already so we thought. So we thought. Uh, there were some folks that had built ChatGPT modules uh, that helped do customer service, a basic customer service requests. There were people using it to write, um, write product copy for both listings and also mini blog posts, which is really something we are kind of not totally sold on doing, but there were people and all their operations kind of shut down for a little because all that was garbage. And I'm still waiting to see if we see product listings that people weren't monitoring and just letting the AI do it without checking the AI's work that are going to be total gibberish product listings that they put up because I think that's entirely possible that it happened during this time window. Um, nevertheless, it seems fixed right now. But again, this this kind of hit one of the core uses for AI, which has been writing some basic copy or responding to customer queries, and it all blew up for a little bit, and um, it got kind of interesting. And then on Wednesday, the day after that, um, Google announced it was shutting down the ability of its Gemini, uh, which is what they put all their AI tools, their Gemini uh, photo generator, image generator, um, and they were stopping it. They were specifically stopping its ability to create images of people, um, and this was the result of a series, at least we saw it break out on Twitter and the social networks of people making queries about historical figures and then Gemini uh, Gemini doing what we think they probably programmed into Gemini with good intentions of showing racial and gender diversity, except it would show pictures of the founding fathers um, in a way that wasn't historically accurate or pictures of World War II Nazi soldiers, which... I'm not using AI for e-commerce to create pictures of World War II e-commerce, uh, World War II Nazi soldiers. Um, maybe, maybe somebody else is. Um, but they took that down and now they're, they, they were, I don't know if they've relaunched that ability, but Gemini was refusing any request to do images of people for a little bit. Um, Rachel, how is this relevant to us in e-commerce? Or is it that relevant? Oh, it's definitely relevant. Uh at 50 pounds, at least, most of our exploration of AI has been regarding creating images and using those on our product pages and all of that. And if we can't create photos with people, that's sad. But also, AI going off the rails is not great for selling clients. 
Yeah, and it's and it's not something that actually you know this because um, again it doesn't affect us if we're just saying create a product image of this plastic tumbler on a tabletop, right? None of the none of the Gemini problems would impact that. But we're also using it because again we represent a lot of small to medium sized businesses who oftentimes resources to get lifestyle shots, which Amazon's now requiring in an environment kind of lifestyle shot, right? Resources to shoot those are very limited and oftentimes that's a barrier for them. We were starting to use AI to create a lot of those. Um, and for us, showing a diverse, um, you know, if you're showing humans in there, showing a diverse mix is great. Um, so it really didn't, for us to use it the way we did, it doesn't. I think part of this is a bit of a troll because, um, you know, you're using AI to try and recreate historical images, which I don't, I don't know if that's the most productive use of AI, um, but that's where Gemini went to foul because it, again, it, it wasn't historically accurate. It was being racially diverse, but not historically accurate. And that created a problem. And I think, Rachel, I think you nailed it. It kind of causes doubt among some AI processes because we've been touting that as, hey, if, you're, if you have the resources to shoot these kind of images, great. If you don't, you know, let us try and produce some using AI to kind of short circuit this and get this done quicker under with less resources. And this, this threw a little doubt on it, right? Um, that this kind of news broke, even though it really didn't affect the kind of stuff that we want to output. But yeah, so again, we can't, it's almost our obligatory, we ought to make a segment that's our obligatory AI news segment at the top of every podcast. So this is our obligatory AI news segment, right? Um, but let's get into the main topic here. Um, and the main topic is, again, a whole slew of changes that Amazon announced back in December. And it was December, December 5th is when they announced these changes. And the whole Amazon world, the seller world freaked out. Um, but they're changes that actually start going into place March 1. So we're recording this on December or February 23rd. So the Friday before March 1, but by next week, Friday, or if you listen to this Monday or Tuesday in a couple of days, it's going to start going to play. So I'll just read through the dates here first, and then we'll start talking about each one uh, and cap and kind of summarize each one. But March 1st, Amazon's going to start charging a fee called an inbound placement service fee. So every unit you send in is going to have a fee attached to it. And that fee is going to, it's going to range depending on the size, but they're going to start charging you for every unit you send in. On April one a low inventory penalty fee comes into place. So if your inventory, if you let your inventory get low, you're going to be charged a penalty whenever they fulfill a customer order. On April 1st as well, they're going to reduce their standard storage fees during non-peak months, which means anywhere from January through September. They'll reduce those. That's actually a positive. And on April 15th, they're going to reduce the outbound fulfillment fees which I think a lot of people have forgotten, but they're going to reduce those, which is a, which is a win. Um, and then on June 1st, the mystery one, they're going to start charging returns processing fees for high return rate products. So all these are starting to come into place over the next, ni over the next 90 days. Um, and these are kind of big things you have to watch out for. Um, so let's go through the first one, right? And I'm going to do the, here's the key facts, and then we're going to shift to like how, how important is this? Um, but let's talk about them in order of when they're going to occur. So March 1, the inbound placement service fee, and this is basically an inbound processing fee for every unit that you ship into Amazon. Um, Amazon projects that the average is going to be around $0.27 cents per unit. So it's significant. I mean, that, it, that matters, right? There is later going to be 
uh, in, in April 15th, a corresponding decrease in the outbound fulfillment fee that partially compensates for that. Um, these fees are going to range from 21 cents to 68 cents or potentially bigger for really large bulky products. Um, and um, the key thing to know here too, the key fact you have to understand if you look at this is, yeah, they're going to charge you that fee that's an average of 27 cents a unit, but you can have that discounted down if you send to multiple locations at Amazon's recommendation. So when you create a shipping plan, they're going to say, can you ship to these multiple locations? If you do that, we'll give you a discount. And Amazon has said the discount can be up to 100%. We don't know what the discounts are going to average. We haven't seen this in the wild yet. The interface will change next week at some point, start pointing this out. Um, but all that's going to come into play. So, Parker, what is Amazon trying to do here? They're trying to limit their effort and have customers essentially just ship in when they want and how they want. And uh, they're basically enticing us to just do what they want to do so that they don't have to, you know, receive the inventory all at one location and then ship it across the country themselves. So we can just ship it straight to those locations. Yeah. Because what happens right now is you ship into Amazon. If you ship into one location, they then put a lot of your inventory, sometimes like 80% of it, right? Rachel, you and I deal with this all the time. And so do you, Parker. Take all your inventory. They put it on different trucks and they reship it out somewhere else. So it can be distributed around the country and the end fulfillment is easier and faster to customers. Uh, I think what Amazon is trying to do here is saying, hey, it's less work if you can just split it into different shipments and send it to the right fulfillment centers in the first place rather than send it all to us and then us split it out and put it back into trucks where customers can't buy it. And it's a lot easier if we just get it to the first place, get it to the correct place at the outset. And so if you, seller, can put a little extra work in and splitting those orders up and splitting out where they go, you know, well, A, we're going to charge everybody, but if you put some work into it, then we'll discount that and we'll give you a break. So we'll, we'll pay you basically for putting in the extra work to split these out so that we don't have to do it later on. That in here, I, I don't think that feels wrong. I mean, that, that, that to me, if I'm trying to design a more efficient overall system, that actually feels right. I don't love paying an inbound service fee. Um, but if I'm running a 3PL, I pretty much do that. I mean, that's kind of the way they work, right? Um, and if, if you've been paying attention in the back end of the shipping details, they've kind of already been doing this. They'll tell you, if you ship to one location, here's your cost. If you ship to multiple locations, here's your cost. And that cost is always cheaper. Yeah. So they have been giving you a break on the rates because if you're buying your inbound shipping through Amazon, they've been starting to get, and it used to be like, if you go back a couple of years, it was actually cheaper to ship into one location than to ship to multiple ones. Um, and so they were actually incenting the wrong behavior. They've now changed it where they're trying, they, I think they've been trying to address it through, we'll give you a little cheaper rates if you ship to multiple locations. I think people weren't paying attention to that or blew by it and said, that's not a big enough savings for me to want to split this, do the extra work of splitting the shipment up. And so now they're making it much more direct of, we're going to charge you for every unit. We're going to discount back. Um, we're going to discount back for the ones that you split up for us. We don't know the level of discounts on this. Um, when we did do the work on it before, um, and we ran through a couple different accounts and we kind of took a couple accounts that we worked on and said, what if this was in place? Once the discounting comes into place or once the lower FBA fulfillment fees come into place later on, we figured you needed to get an average of about a 26% discount to make your total fulfillment cost kind of wash out and be even. And so that's kind of the target we set out there for it. Um, but Rachel, how much is this 
when this was announced, this was like Armageddon level panic among sellers. What is the real Armageddon level here? I don't think this is it. I think if you're a big seller who's been, or a bigger company who's been pretty set on shipping to only one location, yeah, this is kind of a bummer. This is a big deal. Um, But I also think that your selling price is a bigger determination of how big of a deal these new fees are. Because of course, if you're selling like a $5 item, a new 30 cent charge is a big deal. Whereas if you're shipping in these big items that are $100, 30 cents isn't as big of a deal. It's not going to matter that much. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I think to me, this is also Amazon's trying to, the bad the bad actors that were shipping everything and there were some major companies shipping all their inventory into one location because it was just easy around their warehouse team to do so. So, you know, screw it, we're going to ship everything we want and you, Amazon, move it around. And they don't have to pay. When Amazon puts things into FC transfer, they're not paying. The company, the seller's not paying for that. Amazon was paying all expense. And that expense then gets passed on to all of us sellers, right? So I think what, it, what I do like about this is if you're trying to send things to multiple locations, which is going to be more efficient and Amazon doesn't have to spend time putting your product in FC transfer and then trucking it around the country. They're giving you a reward for that. And you're not having to pay for what the bad actors do. If you're, if you're shipping in the right way, I kind of like that in some ways. Um, I want to see how the numbers all wash out. In theory, if multiple, if the majority of sellers follow this, shouldn't we see shorter processing times, FC processing and FC transfer time? That's my hope. Yeah, because we often run into things where we're running low on inventory. We ship something in, you know, Amazon gets 800 units and immediately puts 750 back into FC transfer. And then you go out of stock because all your stock's on semi-trucks being run between fulfillment centers. Um, I'm hoping that if we do this correctly, we see less of that. And that may be, that may be me uh, drinking the copium and just trying to make the best out of what's going on here. But I, I think that's... Um, I think we should see that. That's what you kind of thought too, Rachel, too, that sounds like. In theory. Yeah. If we can spend less time with our products lost in FC transfer, unavailable to consumer, we can manage inventory better on it. Um, And so, Parker, as a seller, what should you be doing now? Like right now, if you're listening to this on Tuesday before it goes into place, what should you be doing? (laughs) Take every piece of inventory you have and ship it in. Ship it in. Ship it in by February 29th <laughs> so that so that you don't yeah. take the inbounds. I think there's going to be a, I think, I do think February 29th is going to be a huge shipping day because every, everybody who's going to ship it on March 1 is going to move it up by one day and just make sure they get their stuff in, right? So there is, yeah, next week, if you want to, if you want to play with the micro game on this, yeah, you can move your shipment up a day early and kind of pass these fees up and ship it out Thursday instead of Friday. Um I also think you should pay really special attention to that discount that they offer for shipping to multiple locations because that's your game. you know. And if you can get more than a 26% discount on average, we think there's accounts that we've monitored, that we've kind of audited that said they're actually going to pay less in total fulfillment by the end of this whole thing if they can get more discount. And so we, we got to see where the discounts come out. We, don't, we haven't seen them in the real world yet. Um, but I think it's really pay attention to what Amazon's asking you to do and to be honest, try to match that and take that discount. I think that's for the extra time you might spend having to put together multiple shipments. I think getting that discount is going to be well worth it in most cases, that per piece discount. Um, and I think that's that's the behavior Amazon's trying to encourage, I think, too. So just give in. 
Just, just do what submit. they ask. You're going to save money. <laughs> yeah, submit. Submit. <laughs> so, Parker, you got the big obey poster on your wall that says obey and then whatever Amazon says on that. When it comes to this, I mean, if you want to keep selling on Amazon and, and make it money. money. It, yeah. Okay. So that's change number one. Um, let's talk through change number two, which comes 30 days later or 31 days later. So April 1, Amazon's going to reduce, and this is one of the positive ones, they're going to reduce their non-peak, so that's January through September, monthly storage fees. Those storage fees um, were $0.87 cents per cubic foot. Now they're going to go down to $0.78. Cents. That sounds nice. It's a 10% reduction. Um, but the one thing to keep in mind which they didn't mention, it's only for the non-peak months. Q4, those three months last year in 2023 were $2.40. Um, and if you look through most of the accounts that we work on, we work on a ton of accounts, right? People actually spent more on standard storage in Q4 because you're holding higher inventory levels and the average cost per cubic foot is like three times what it is the rest of the year. You spend more on standard inventory in Q4 during just those three months than you do in the other nine months of the year. And so this reduction only impacts less than half of your total storage fees is a little bit of this. So it's not as big as you might think it is. And again, this is the standard storage fee, not the aged or not some of the other penalty fees that come into place. I think on a lot of our accounts, um, you know, we weren't sure it was that going to be that. It was nice. It's nice to have, not going to complain about it, not telling it to go away, but it wasn't the giant impact. But really, uh, uh, Rachel, let's start with you on this. What's Amazon trying to do here by reducing this this fee? By reducing it? Yes. I think that there are a lot of sellers, including some of our own clients, that hold a significantly smaller inventory level than what we did this time a year ago. And I think Amazon wants people to get a little bit more inventory in there. I think there's just a little bit of an incentive to keep a higher level of higher quantity of units. Yeah, I think so. I think it's Amazon last year launched, and the big stir last year was Amazon launched these uh, extra fees if you had excessive inventory or if you had long term inventory. So people got people overreacted, is what we've kind of generally heard. Is is a lot of sellers and sellers overreacted and keep too thin inventory, which means Amazon can't spread it out around among fulfillment centers the way it wants to, and it's ended up costing Amazon more to do that that final fulfillment step from the warehouse to the home. Um, because they can't they can't distribute the inventory because there's just not enough there, right? And so I think this is Amazon saying, "Hey, you can put a little more inventory in here. We're going to make the inventory cost a little bit less. Please put more inventory in." Um, Parker, what's the Nirvana level on this? Is this like um, manna from heaven? Everything is golden now, or is this ho hum? I'm more ho hum on it. I think kind of the piece that you called out earlier of. The price is so high to have inventory there in the winter months that in Q4 uh, that, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of just rolling past this update. Yeah. So, and uh, if you haven't heard us talk about it before, on a lot of uh, accounts we manage, we'll do something, we'll break down like every single piece of cost for folks to really look through profitability and, and look through, you know, where can we find improvements in, in your profitability and where can we help you make more money? Right. And that's a big thing that we do. And we do that at a super in-depth level. In fact, deeper than anybody we've come across at this point. The only time when we break that down where we get people complaining about the storage 
the standard storage fee. And Parker, I'm going back to a meeting you and I had recently, right? The only time the standard storage fee ever gets mentioned as a point of contention is during Q4. It was kind of invisible for nine months of the year um, that our particular partner, who's a great partner, didn't really care about it because it wasn't that big an impact. In Q4, because everything tripled, it all of a sudden became a real impact and became a, a pain point. But this doesn't help Q4 at all. Um, and I think in a lot of, we, we again, when we did this back in December, we audited through a lot of our accounts and modeled it and said, okay, what if this change was in place? You know, for a lot of those businesses, standard storage is way under 1% of gross. Uh, is from Scott. In fact, we looked at three accounts. It was like 0.1%. So it was a tenth of a percent. And if you're ch- if you're saving 10% for half of your storage costs, um, you know, it really works out to be a like a one hundredth of a percent of change in your total profit margin on things. For like we audited three accounts, and it was it was going to be one hundredth of one percent was the change in your margins. And so it really kind of was a, hey, this sounds great, a 10% reduction in storage. But if you're managing your storage effectively, it wasn't that big a deal. On one account that we looked at where their storage runs a lot higher, it's a lot of big bulky items. This did make a little more of a difference. It was like a, you know, closer to a 1%, but less than a 1% difference. Um, And that's meaningful. I think this is maybe a bigger deal if you have really big bulky items. And if you don't, if you have fairly compact items, this is going to be negligible and you're probably not even going to notice it is what I think is the end of the day on it. Anything sellers should do with this one? I think nothing, right? <laughs> just, it's it's going to yeah, happen. Ho-hum. Um, it's going to happen here. So let's get the other reason I think they put this into play too was, um, and we maybe should reverse the orders in these. On April 1, on the same day, the low, I just didn't want to have two negative things at the start. So I put, I switched them around, but on the same day as the storage fee dropping, Amazon's going to institute a low inventory penalty. And what that means is um, if both your 30-day inventory levels and your 90-day inventory levels, both of them, uh, uh, what Amazon's calling your historical supply, right? That's the, that's the official new Amazon phrasing everybody has to remember. If your 30-day historical supply and your 90-day historical supply both drop below 28 days, both, not one or the other, but both, um, then you'll start paying a pretty hefty additional fee every time one of those products gets bought and ships out. Um, and it's going to occur when the product gets fulfilled. That's the time it's going to occur on. And those fees are going to go anywhere from $0.32 cents a unit to a buck eleven a unit, depending on how big they are and what, how low your inventory level is, just how bad the problem is. I think part of that, we're going to reduce the storage fees is yeah, so you, we're asking you to put more inventory in so you can avoid this low inventory penalty. Some of you got too lean. So we're going to reduce the inventory storage fees down a little bit to help you out. Um, but again, so Rachel, what do you think Amazon's trying to do here? They're trying to keep people from letting their inventory get too lean. Uh, I think a lot of sellers, to avoid long-term storage fees and all the other storage fees that have happened, got accidentally too lean. and basically said, I'd rather have not enough inventory there than too much. And that, like we've been talking about, makes it really difficult for Amazon to make their fulfillment network as efficient as possible. And so now, instead of it being their problem, it's going to be your problem. You're going to pay. Yeah. And and we, some of our partners, and then some that we talk to or hear about from others, you know, we, we usually practice a get your inventory to eight weeks, kind of top it off at eight weeks. 
Um, but we saw a lot, especially large ones, dropping their inventory down to like three or four weeks of coverage and just keeping it super lean to avoid all these extra penalties and aged inventory penalties and everything else. And I think when it gets that lean, I think what Amazon realized was their cost, what they were paying for fulfillment was going up um, because they had to ship things from farther away. There weren't as many fulfillment centers to pull inventory from. I think this is Amazon trying to fix their balance sheet a little bit on the marketplace side and just saying, hey, if we get if we can get more product, we can spread it out more among different fulfillment centers, which means our end step fulfillment, what we're paying for either the Amazon driver to deliver it or we're paying the USPS or UPS to deliver it is going to be a little bit less and we Amazon make more money doing that. Um, I think that's where it's coming from is just they want us to, they want people to bulk up their inventory levels a bit. This was the one that got the most attention though. So this is the one where people absolutely lost their shit. Um, Parker, what's the real Armageddon level here? Yeah, this one's a little less ho-hum. Um, I think this will be something that we continue to talk about through the year and into the next coming years, assuming it stays just based on all the things that are out of your control. If you lose inventory or, you know, uh, supply chain things and yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. Yeah. And Rachel, what should sellers be doing? I think they need to get their supply chain sorted out. I think it's not really acceptable anymore to have, instances where you just run out of product at least in amazon's eyes i understand that things happen yeah i should say though if you run out though you're not paying this penalty because if you run out i mean this penalty is paid when product is fulfilled so if you're out you're right. not paying anything but um, you're paying until so it's you really if out. you're just yeah if you're just well if it runs out pretty quickly then you know your 90 day didn't drop below 28 days and you're going to be okay um it's really, I think it's really targeting the ones who are, are just endemically all the time keeping this like low three to four weeks or three weeks of inventory. And they just never quite address it. Cause you gotta, you gotta be under for a 90 day window uh, on average to do it. So you're, it's not a short term problem with low inventory that's going to cause this. It's that you're consistently at low inventory is what's going to cause this. Um, I ran last night because this is the kind of things I sometimes do when I'm in these moods was, I ran a, a on Grown Ass Man Company, which is our own brand that we operate, right? There were zero products that would fit uh, this status. Nothing was even close. I think our lowest in, because Amazon gives you, which, it pulls the two numbers and gives you whatever number's highest, right? And our worst was 58 days. That was our across all of our, and we have 100 SKUs in that thing. So it's not a small one, but our worst was, uh, was 58. Um, so we were fine. On another client, I'm not going to mention their name here, but um, they have a couple hundred items on there. We went through all of them um, yesterday on our call with them, and there were five items that could get the penalty out of 200, right? And of those, there were three that were significant volume. There were a couple that, hey, these things are seasonal, they're winding down, it's not a big an issue. There's only three items left, and those will sell through, and if we had to pay a penalty on three items, fine. Um, but there were, there were four to five items that, okay, here's an issue. And what we just decided there was, hey, let's get some more, let's prioritize getting more inventory in on those. So by the time this clicks in on April 1, you're not going to face the penalty. Um, so the other thing I would do, Rachel, in addition, yeah, get your supply chain in control was, I think everybody, as you listen to this, go and do an audit on your account and look through all your ASINs. There's not a dashboard up yet. We expect Amazon to launch a dashboard for this, but there is not one live yet. 
but there's a hack you can use to get there. And the way to get to the hack, if you're in your account, I'll say this, and then uh, maybe we should maybe we should summarize it in the show notes because everybody's not going to remember if you're listening in your car or something. But um, if you go to your inventory uh, from the main homepage, inventory, then dashboard. Um, so go to your inventory dashboard and make sure whoever's looking at this has access to that. But there's an inventory dashboard for every seller. There's an inventory performance index chart on there. And you can go to the line where it says, here's your excess inventory and reduce that and click that button. That'll get you to your excess inventory. And that page is really meant to say what has too much inventory on it, right? But it does sort everything by days of inventory and it sorts the things that have the most inventory at the top. On that chart, just click that that days of or historical days of supply chart column and click it so it sorts by the products with the lowest days of inventory at the top. And you can see pretty quick which ones would be in the penalty range. It'll show you pretty it'll show you ones that are out of stock, but it'll also show you what their score is in days of inventory for everything. That's how we found, okay, you have four to five items that Let's get some product in. If we get some product in now, by the time April 1 rolls around, you're going to be safe on that. Um, and I think everybody should do that right now. Just go through and do a quick audit. It's, you know, you have March to get this fixed and you won't take any penalties. Typically, if you've been managing inventory competently, you may have none or you may have just a handful of items to fix up on it. And there was a little concern on our partner side of, oh my gosh, do we have big problems to worry about? When we identified that there's really four to five items and all we got to do is ship an extra inventory and those cease to be problems, then it was, then it was okay, good. We know, we know how to fix this. We're not going to have any issues. It just needs to be managed, right? Um, and then you can also do, and Parker, when we were talking about this yesterday, what you suggested is, hey, just manage to eight weeks or pick a, pick a number like that that gives you enough cushion. And you know, our system is not that complicated that we use for most of our partners. It's the ones we manage inventory for, which is, uh, which is the majority of them, I think. Um, but it's just, you know, target eight weeks, run it, run an inventory scan. Uh, you know, use the, use the FBA uh, fulfillment reports run in there and anything that's under eight weeks, top it up to eight weeks. And we just do that every week. And that if you're doing that consistently, unless you have a product supply chain problem, you really won't run into this or you have like a huge, um, well, even if you have a huge boom of sales on a product, it's not going to affect your 90-day numbers. You can correct for that. So as long as you're managing things consistently and kind of targeting, whether it's seven weeks or eight weeks or whatever you decide your target is, you'll be okay. I think where you get in problems if you're shipping in like once a month, if you're trying to do one big shipment a month instead of kind of topping off on a weekly basis, I think that's where you invite problems to come into place in this. Anything else on that, Rachel or Parker? Since this was this was like the, this was the big giant, uh, Everybody lose their shit. Uh, part of the Amazon updates back in December. Consistency. Yeah, I think instead of just doing all the big shipments at once, just getting a rhythm. Yeah, I think that's key on this. Just getting a rhythm and keep working it through. Um, and and ship more frequently, ship smaller amounts. Just getting that rhythm, and that's that's what we kind of preach as we guide companies onto this: is just ship weekly, top it off. Um, and some of the problems you have, like if you have a huge run on a product, it's fine because it's not going to hurt your 90-day number that much. You can recover on that. So um, that just keeps... I think the big thing people were really upset about was, hey, Amazon, you're now punishing us because last year in 2023, they started punishing if you had aged inventory and charging extra and making those penalties more severe. And so if you have too much inventory, you can get punished. If you have too little, you can get punished. 
all the more reason to kind of manage it on a weekly basis and just check in and top things off. The last one that's coming up soon, then there's one more coming in June we'll mention, but the one that's coming in April 15th, this is uh, on April 15th, Amazon's going to reduce its outbound FBA fulfillment fees. And the things you need to know here are that, um, remember we said the inbound fees, Amazon's expecting 27 cents a unit to be the charge on average, um, varying up or down depending on the size of the product. The reduction in fulfillment fees outbound, Amazon expects that to be an average of 20 cents per unit. And that gives you some real easy math to kind of look at what you need to address here. So if your average fee increases 27 cents every time you send something to Amazon, but you're spending 20 cents less every time you send something out from Amazon, okay, you got a seven cents gap to make up on most products. Again, more on bigger products, bulkier products, a little bit less on smaller products, but an average of you're trying to make up seven cents a product. So Parker, what's Amazon trying to do here? On this one? maybe help us out? I think they're trying to make the inbound more fair. I think they're trying to split the cost on it. It's not just, we're not going to charge you on the outbound so we don't have bad actors just sending all their shit in at once. Right? We're going to split the cost on inbound and outbound. And if you get that discount, this is where we got to the, if you can get a 26% discount, you probably, you can come out whole. If you can get more than 26% discount, you may end up saving on your total fulfillment fees per unit on this. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be interested to see how this shakes out because as of recent history, it seems like every six months or every year, it's probably every year, but it seems like it's faster than that. They just keep raising that yeah. FBA fulfillment fee. Yeah, so they could go on April 15th, we're reducing your fees, and then they could go June 1 and say, oh, by the way, exactly. fuel's got more expensive, we're raising the fees up a little bit. I mean, that could very well happen. Or we could get in there and say, okay, we had this target of, hey, can we get 26% discounts on average because that'll make us whole. That'll make us kind of flat. And we may find out that that's a myth and the best discount we can get is 15%. There's still a hit, right? Um, those, we don't know. Those are, those are details that will come into play. So we could still, we could feel pretty good going into April 15th, see what the actual discounts are, and then come out of it going, okay, we got screwed. <laughs> right? That could still happen. Um, it's still very possible. It is Amazon. Um, Cautiously optimistic. So Rachel, on this reduction in outbound fulfillment fees, what's the Nirvana level here? Is this heaven or is this ho-hum? TBD. I think... TBD? Yeah, we just got to see how this one shakes out. If they're fair, then yeah, this is great. But if... And is your TBD... Because if I look at TBD, I look at two things. I look at what is that discount going to be if you obey, in Parker's terms, if you if you fall in line with their please ship to multiple locations. And then also, is Amazon going to follow this up shortly afterwards with a oops, fuel prices are higher, we're going to raise fees again. Are those the, did I capture the two kind of the reasons why it's TBD? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Got it. And Parker, is anything you need to do as a seller in advance of this? Hmm. I don't think so. I think we're kind of just at the mercy of Amazon here. Yeah, I think it's just do the things we talked about in front of, get your inventory in control and make sure you're, make sure you're getting as much of the discount as you can because... I think your goal is going to be with that 20 cents you save here. Uh, and again, there's a whole big, I'm simplifying it. That's 20 cents on average. It's going to vary greatly per item. But on the 20 cents you save here, can you get another 7 cents on the discount by shipping in? And can you kind of make whole? I think that's your prep is on the other items, the other changes we talked about up higher. Um, the last one we'll talk about, just to close this off, because there's one other big change coming, but we don't have much to say about this because it's kind of a TBD. Um, on June 1, 
is when Amazon is going to start including a returns processing fee for returns on high return rate products. And the reason we don't have, this is, this is going to be a big one when it comes through, I think. There's, this is going to be a source of a lot of agitation. The reason we don't have much to say about it yet is Amazon hasn't told anybody what a high return rate product, what's the threshold for a high return rate product. Amazon said it, it's probably going to vary by category. Um, you know, apparel has a super high return rate to begin with. Apparel gets returned all the time. That's, that's, a, big, that's a big issue on things. Butter products don't get returned as often. So you may have an average of 2% returns on, on a kind of a kitchenwares kind of category. You may have an average of 25% returns on apparel. We don't know what Amazon's going to say is a high return rate product yet. The dashboard doesn't come out until May 1. So May 1, we'll, we'll get a better idea. But until May 1, we're kind of in the dark. We just know there's going to be an extra fee. We don't know how Amazon's going to assess it. Rachel, what's Amazon trying to do here? I mean, obviously, they're trying to penalize sellers who sell junk product and it gets returned all the time. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's over the last few years, kind of as e-commerce has really picked up, there's been a lot of people, myself included, that will buy several things. And then I'll just return the ones I don't like. And I think they're trying to get ahead of that. Because I've also heard of like other retailers. So what retailers. I'm hearing, Rachel, is... I am a problem. That's what, what I'm hearing. hearing is you're the problem. You are the problem. Okay. Exactly on that. And, and you know, I think that's pretty common in apparel to do that. I think they're also uh, keeping up a lot of other people... retailers and other sellers, like brands online that have taken away free returns. Yes. Um I also think this is a lot of folks have called this the Temu uh, Sheen uh, uh, penalty fee, right? And this is their specific Amazon specific counter to this because along with this, they also in January reduced the the affiliate the fee you had to pay. So the Amazon fee, like on most products, you pay fifteen percent. Well, they dropped that way back way down on apparel that was lower cost. They're encouraging low cost apparel sales, but what they don't want is junk apparel being sent out there as high return rate. So there a lot of folks have said this is a direct Tamu Sheen kind of counter to don't send junk out to people and have them return it. Um, but this is going to extend beyond apparel though. This is the first time Amazon's talked about this beyond the apparel world. They have implemented this already in apparel. So there is already there can be return penalty fees in apparel already. This is going to go beyond apparel to everybody else. So um we'll kind of see what comes in on this. Yeah, I think, Rachel, it's like, don't sell junk stuff. Don't sell junk apparel. It's also don't sell, don't do the, you know, there's been a lot of uh, analysts saying this is their, please don't sell really cheap junk you find on Alibaba and market way up and sell that too, um, for example. And you can find really good stuff on Alibaba. I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying everything is, on Alibaba is junk, but some of it gets hyped up a lot more. It's really low quality product and gets hyped up as good quality product. and. Amazon has to deal with a lot of returns on it. Um, I think they're going after a lot of that too, because there's been a lot, we've seen a lot of direct from the factory Chinese brands launched onto Amazon. And sometimes they're great and they're as good quality or better than other things. And other times we've seen some crap come in there too. I think this is a counter to that. I think this is kind of addressing some of those issues as well, but I'm, I'm speculating on that. Parker, what's the Armageddon level on this? Uh, yeah, this is this is going to impact some. Is it going to impact uh, some of the accounts that we're on, or you know, all of the solid sellers out there? Maybe not as much. I'm interested 
in where we're at today or what's going to shake out this year on Amazon charging customers for returns? Yeah. Do we have any insight into that one? All the insight I have, they continue to talk about that they are looking at implementing that. They're specifically looking at implementing it on customers that have high return rates. So if you're a customer that returns a lot of product, you might start facing a $1 per return fee is is the oh, way they speculate about it, right? But it's a dollar per return, just enough to deter you from doing it somewhat. That's that's what they floated. But if they've announced an official policy there, I haven't seen it yet. I won't be deterred. But cool. You won't be deterred. So <laughs> Rachel, you may you may say, Rachel, as the problem, you may say that's okay. A dollar Shelby, like do you do you buy stuff like that? Are you part of the problem too, Shelby? No, not yet. Maybe someday. <laughs> um and so, Rachel, what should sellers be doing about this right now? Uh, I would start by looking at all of your product return rates. You know, I think it's kind of difficult sometimes in Amazon's back end to truly get an idea of what your return rates look like, especially if you're doing FBA shipping. It's kind of nestled deep in there. Um, so I would figure out if you have products that have a seemingly high return rate you know, given that we don't know what the threshold for high is yet and, you know, do something about it if you do. Yeah. Address. And do you need to change your listing copy? Do you need to, we've got one client that it seems like they're going to entirely phase out a product because it had return rate issues. Yeah. And there is information. There are reports that have been I don't know if they're totally new, but there's been information added to these reports that you can find. So what we've started doing for a lot of partners is doing a complete returns audit. Like, what are your high return rate products? Because um, we may look at it and realize that most of your products, like the one we did that was the largest one we've done so far, most of the products had fine return rates. There was no issue, except there were there were five specific products that had really high return rates, and we needed to go address those. Um, there is a report that you can sift through. It takes some math and Excel work to make it make sense. But there's a report if you go to Amazon Reports Fulfillment and then scroll down the left column there and you can find one that says customer con- under the con- customer concessions group of reports, there's one that says FBA customer returns. That's the report you want to grab. That'll give you, if you download it, you can get a history of every single return back to the beginning of time and why people, which, which A's in and SKU it was and why people said they returned it. Um, and that, We've been using that, right? Because that'll help us determine. And then we match that up against sales report. And we can say, okay, our average our average rate of return for this product is X when we match it up against sales numbers from the sales reports. Um, and the most common reason is why. And does that, you know, and we can deduce some things from that. So we've gone with that particular partner. We found that some were, um, there was a high defective rate on one product that, and it, it boiled back to the product was not defective, but the limitations of the product were not fully described in the listing as, as, like, as upfront as they could be. So we've changed that listing to really, in pictures and words, show what the product should be used for and what it shouldn't be used for. And lo and behold, the return rate dropped um, and went from a real problem to, okay, still a minor, it's still a higher return rate than average, but it, it dropped quite a bit. Um, so it's less of a concern. So there's things you can find from there. You can find that people said, I got the wrong quantity. That's another freak on another. Uh, partner we've done an audit with. And that's, okay, we got to make the quantity, you're getting this many cartons that have this many units in it by ordering this. We need to make that a little clearer. There was one we found out that 
and this is in the verbatims, that consumers didn't understand that it was a single-use product. They thought it was a repeat-use product, a reusable product. And we just, that was stated in the copy, but it wasn't upfront enough. And if we make that more upfront, we can reduce the returns. And we just want to be honest with buyers anyways. We don't want them to buy something that's not what they expect. So we're making adjustments to those listings right now, trying to cut those return rates down. But again, that's that's the FBA customer returns reports under the customer concessions group. Um, and again, you can, if you do the download part of it, select your date range, it'll give you every, it'll give you way more data than you want about every single return, but you can use that to try and get a preview in advance of where you might have some issues. And you do have to match it up with your sales report so you can kind of get percent of return rates on things. But, but that's an audit that you can do and prep for it now. And you have until June to get the return rates better. So maybe your products won't get caught in this high return rate threshold, whatever that is, right? Great. Those were the ones we wanted to address. So Parker, Rachel, anything that we left out of there that we want to include on these upcoming Amazon changes for folks and what you can do about it? You're welcome to reach out. It seems like most of these fees penalize behavior that we already advise our clients against. So if you're behaving as you should with Amazon, they're not a big deal. Yeah, that's right. I get a lot of these things to me. These are scary because it's new fees coming in, but they really go after bad behavior that we advise against from the start. So in that level, I'm still want to see how they all work out, but I, I'm less alarmed than I was when they first announced everything. <laughs> Parker, what's your final words? Yeah, you're, you're welcome to reach out to us. If you see anything else out there in the forums or on social media, it should have calmed down since its initial announcement, but otherwise we're just going to have to recap it. And, and we love a good crazy shit post on the forums and how out of hand people get on there. So yeah, if you want to reach out to us, um, and if you find anything, any crazy stories on the forums or crazy claims that we should all band together and go storm Amazon's uh, home offices, which was actually something that was on the forums, right? We should all, we should all storm their offices and take over Amazon uh, by force, uh, which is not going to happen, by the way. Um, if you see any crazy stuff like that, then share it to us. And you can share it to us on Roar at ecomasaurus.com. That's R-A-W-R at ecomasaurus.com. Uh, and as a reminder, next week, we're going to be talking through the most interesting stories by our judgment, uh, most interesting stories of February, 2024. And if you want to reach out to 50 pound Boson, if you're a, a small to medium sized brand owner that needs help growing your e-commerce sales channels, you can find us at 50 pound Boson.com. That's five zero P O U N D B O S O N.com. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Ecomasaurus podcast. And we'll be back with another one this week. Thank you, Rachel. And thank you, Parker. And thank you, Shelby, for all the help putting this together. Bye.